welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. Well, today I'm excited to bring you part two of my husband, Eric, sharing about the progress that he has made and continues to make against perfectionism. I love that the timing of these episodes came at the beginning of a new year, as I think it's a great time to reevaluate some things in our life. What's been working? What hasn't? What needs to change? Yes, I kind of am one of those people who gets excited about the intentionality that a new year can bring. But even if you aren't, fighting against perfectionism and finding joy on the other side of its weight is a worthwhile pursuit at any point in your life or any time during the course of a year. But personally, I think the start of 2023 is the perfect, see what I did there? Perfect. (laughs) The perfect time to think about and consider if there are some changes that need to be made and to start your journey from perfectionism to achievement and experience the blessings that are usually quick to follow. Peace, freedom, contentment, feeling more excited about life, feeling less critical of yourself and others, and yes, of course, more joy, just to name a few. If you haven't listened to part one, you should go and do that now as Eric sets some good groundwork there for what he talks about today. I'm so excited for you to hear the rest of his list of things that have helped him to make some headway. Interestingly enough, I've heard more feedback from my guy listeners this time around versus the feedback I got about my cousin Sarah's episode when she talked about perfectionism on episode 35, which I think is a good reminder to me that covering the same topic with different people will cause it to resonate with different people. Anyway, I will say it again. I am so thankful for Eric's willingness to share like he did. He really pours out his heart and he put a lot of time into preparing for these episodes. I am just so stinking proud of all of the work that he has done in this area and I love the changes that I have seen in him. His life gives testimony that fighting perfectionism doesn't bring along with it subpar work or less success. As a result of the headway that Eric has made, he has achieved more and continues to achieve more. And the best part, it's with joy. He's not getting sick or discouraged or burned out like he used to. Instead, he's actually able to fit in and do more, achieve more, perform better. And he's so much happier and so are the people around him. All that being said, I think you will love part two as much as you have told me that you liked part one. So I will do a quick ad for today's podcast sponsor, and then we will jump right in. Today's episode of the Fighting for Joy podcast is again brought to you by my sponsor, Access Period. Access Period is a nonprofit organization in Omaha that provides free menstrual products. Period poverty, or the lack of access to menstrual products, affects one in four women. When people don't have access to the products they need, they either stay home from work and school, perpetuating the cycle of poverty, or they use unsafe and uncomfortable alternatives. Too often, period poverty is invisible, which makes it hard to connect with our neighbors who most need help. By supporting Access Period, you will help to place menstrual products into the hands of the people who need them most, both through the organizations that already serve them and through free pickup locations throughout Nebraska. If you are interested in learning more about Access Period, getting involved with fighting period poverty in your own community, or if you are someone who needs menstrual products, please visit www.accessperiod.com or find them on Instagram at Access Period. I'm thankful for their willingness to partner with me and I love the work they are doing. 
Okay, now on to today's show, part two of how perfectionism hinders your fight for joy. Point number three, learn the connection to the Sabbath rhythm. We have a whole other podcast on this, but this is a big way of how I've practically made headway the last number of years. And that is this whole rhythm of six days we work our brains out and God set it aside and set a pattern for us in creation to totally rest on the seventh day. And what we're rehearsing during that is that, wow, I am using this seventh day not to do more, to be more, which is what perfectionism is. I mm. must be more. Mm. And I'm going to be more of a person and more meaningful in life and everyone around me if I just do more. Mm-hmm. And we are reminded of points one and two that we've covered so far on this weekly this weekly rhythm of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. We are reminded and come face to face that, yep, I remember I'm human. I remember I have limits. Limits are not sin. I don't have to repent on those. Number two, I remember, Christ, that I want other things to save me. And how this week have I worked extra hard to really save myself with some more meaning when, you know what? I need to remember today that I've got an everlasting name. Mm -hmm. We're not built for workaholism to work seven days a week for 365 days a year, we will burn out. And that's the tendency in perfectionism, the the try harder, give up cycle. Mm -hmm. And the link to the Sabbath here is that we are, we are commanded by the Lord to clear our calendars and to rest. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you can work hard, Saturday's uh, work for Sunday's rest, Sunday being the pinnacle of the week, all these themes that we talked about on the uh, Sabbath podcast, that, that, has, um, that has helped me break this lie in my head that my inner critic is really good at. Well, you'll be more if you do more. Why are you resting on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, we do hold pretty tightly to our Sabbath. And <laughs> I think for our friends who don't struggle with perfectionism or never have, it could be confusing why this is so yeah. uh, important to us. But it, we, I mean, it's it's exactly what you said. You need a day to rehearse these things. You You desperately need this day as a reminder that you don't need to do more to be more, that you are... Um, you are enough in Christ and you just, you really do um, physically, <laughs> but also emotionally, spiritually, relationally, relationally. I mean, you holistically need Sabbath in a way I think yeah. some people may not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think we all are commanded, yeah, no, like you said, you to use it, but it's just been um, extremely helpful and beneficial yep. to you. Yeah. You want to make headway out of misery and perfectionism and move on the continuum to achievement? Sabbath is there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's been super helpful. Number four, begin to live in the out of mindset instead of the to get mindset. So here's how I say the out of versus the to get mindset. Um, If there's a very hard scene in the opening of Saving Private Ryan, it's a modern day of what this older person that had been saved out of a battle in World War II, he's now 90 years old, and he's walking over the gravesides of the people that were able to save him. And he asked this absolutely heartbreaking question. He says, have I lived enough? Hmm. 
I'm 90 years old and I don't even know if my life has done enough good to ultimately matter. Mm. I don't know if I've done enough. Mm. All these guys died and I got to be saved by specifically some of their efforts. And the movie is very graphic to show how he was saved mm. and it's based on a true story. And he gets to the end of his life and he still has this question mark over his head. I don't know as a 90 year old man if my life gave meaning mm. or has enough meaning in it. I'm still wondering. And what I love about flipping that over is what if, what if at the age of 30, you could get the verdict that your life is enough? Mm. How would the next 50 years of your life look different? What if he would have been like, yep, I'm age 30. I somehow meet this milestone and man, my life is worth it. I have meaning. I have purpose. And really that's what a relationship with Christ is. He got this verdict where he was holy, he was rich, he left heaven, became poor, became human, and he lived a perfect life, and he died a death, and all my sins are forgiven because of him. And so I have that verdict, not guilty, hmm. over me today. I don't have to wait till I'm 90 to wonder if I've done enough. And so because I have the verdict over me today that I am God's son, that I am loved by him, I'm adopted into his family, that's my inheritance. I have the inheritance mm -hmm. of God because I have these things today and the verdict of good enough is over this perfectionist heart, mm -hmm. I can live out of that now and just bubble over instead of have to get things to be able to accomplish more. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think being able to live out of a verdict that's already over me has really freed me up to just um, accomplish more than I ever thought I could. Mm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yep. All right. Number five, realize you have more than one, than one emotion and diagnose how you feel by asking the why questions. Mm. And this was a this was a hard one for me. When you're a perfectionist, you automatically go to the guilt emotion and you automatically go to this black cloud over you. Things aren't enough. You don't measure up. Why am I dreading going to work today? And why do I not want to do this activity? Or why do I not want to be with this person? Or why am I not wanting to start this next project or writing these next notes or publishing this next blog post? Why is it that I don't want to do these things? Is it because I came off of a great day and I can't repeat it the next day? Am I tired because I'm exhausted because I'm human and you have to have sleep as a human <laughs> and sleep is not sin? Are my expectations way too high and am I asking and am I taking the joy out of this job for myself? Am I my worst enemy here to take away the joy of this? Mm -hmm. Achievement allows me to feel more feelings, not just stuff them and keep my eyes focused only on winning and success or perfection. It is that I need a name. I need others to like me more. Uh, what is it that is driving some of this black cloud over me that I, that I, that I feel? Um, what in this activity that if I do it well would make me feel better about myself, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what, 
what is it here that I'm talking to myself with things that are not true or they're not realistic or they're not human? Um, and the other way that I think about realizing that I've got more than one emotion is that um, it, it, it seems funny, but there is this rumble of panic underneath everything. Maybe I'm just fearful in a normal way because it's not my everyday experience to stand up before a thousand people and give a speech. Is that <laughs> fear? And what do I do with that? That has nothing to do with, I will make it worse as a perfectionist to say I've got to accomplish X and I can never get there because that expectation is way too high. And what I might be feeling is just the normal fear of this rumble of panic beneath everything. And what's going to happen if I totally bomb speaking in front of a thousand people? Normal fear left unchecked will lead to anxiety. But this normal fear, um, I, I can bring to him and Philippians 4, 7 reminds us that there is a way to be humble enough to be carefree. We can humble ourselves by casting our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. So I think there's lots of emotions out there. And I think as a perfectionist, you tend to think you've only got one or two emotions. And there's beauty in the human emotions that we've been given. Um, and they're not all to be repented of. Um, and they're all different. And they're... They're, they're they're to be listened to and we can make headway on them by asking some of the why hmm. questions. I love that. I love that. And I, I feel like your work um, against perfectionism has definitely helped you um, to normalize uh, the range of emotions you may feel. I feel like grief kind of catapulted you yeah. into that as well um, to feel like these are normal and good emotions. Um, you know, since I've had you on more regularly, my uh, the number of male listeners that I have has gone up, which I've loved. And I, I just appreciate the way that you are leading the charge on normalizing some more emotions um, and showing that, like you said, fear as you are ready to present or um, the rumble of panic and, you know, just some of these different emotions are, yeah. they're normal and um, that you don't need to beat yourself up. You don't need to stuff them. You don't need to um, come across as inauthentic because you're not willing to acknowledge them and share them. And so I just, I, I hear from both men and women who listen to the podcast that they enjoy hearing, uh, you share about different things that you are feeling and thinking and experiencing in grief. But in, you know, this is another great example, um, as you continue to battle perfectionism, um, and make headway there and just realize that because of our humanness, um, we are going to have a wide range of emotions. That is not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Number six, set realistic expectations based on pre and post fall realities. So I love this one. And this one has been super helpful. It's really good to set realistic expectations and to be able to jump over hurdles. The more hurdles you jump over, success breeds success. And the more I found myself and others being able to achieve because the expectations were realistic, not ones we would never get to. Mm -hmm. And I love the pre-fall part of this is that there's an aspect of being human that no human or one human on the earth could do that or 1% of the humans on earth can do that. Don't set expectations mm -hmm. at those levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, I think we see some of this from Christ, who was the Savior, who is the uh, Savior. He was asleep in the front of a boat while it's about ready to drown, and his disciples are freaking out. Mm -hmm. Why was he asleep? Was that sin? Well, of course not. He was exhausted, and he was wiped out. And he had realistic expectations that said, I, I'm the savior of the world here, boys, but I'm not, uh, but I am not going to miss my sleep right now because I wiped out. And that's what it means to be human. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> is. I love that. That's the irony of the savior of the world. Um, not, um, having a savior complex. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, I think what's been helpful about realistic expectations too, is, um, get started on things. When we talk about this at the bank, we like to write one pagers to get, a um, project summarized in one page. And it's best if you do not look for a three hour block in your time to just knock it out perfectly and no one interrupts. It's best if you start the file and spend 10 minutes on it. It's best if you come back a few hours later or next couple days and you spend another 10 minutes on it or 15 minutes on it. And then you have a third time where you just be like, all right, this is kind of draft form. I'm going to push it. Um, in good enough form over the goal line in the next 15 minutes. And so breaking up work, um, I think has been, has been super helpful and that's much more realistic. We do that at our house too. You know, we always yeah. have our storage room that continues to, um, occasionally get a little gamey and, uh, needing yeah. to be uh, addressed. And I love when you yeah. have gotten to the point now, you know, I would say early in our marriage, it was okay. Well, we're spending all day Saturday organizing the storage room. Yeah. And so a lot of times we just wouldn't do it because we didn't want to spend a whole day Saturday <laughs> getting the storage room organized. That's right. And now, you know, we're to the point where you, you're able to say, you know what, let's set the timer for 30 minutes and whatever we get done, we get done. And I am always in awe of how much we get done. I am too. And then when the alarm goes off, we're like, oh, we're not quite ready to be done, but we are going to be done because that's all we needed that's to do right. today. And we have other things that we need to get done too, yeah. but we didn't do all or nothing. Yeah. And we didn't set aside three days to just do the whole yeah. uh, room. I think that's been really helpful. My uh, favorite quote on this is inch by inch, it's a cinch mm -hmm. and yard by yard, it's hard. I think also with this one, it's the joy of saying this time it was ordinary mm -hmm. and finding joy in the ordinary and the freedom from having to make everything epic or better than last time. Mm. Um, part of what it means to be human is to be ordinary. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to be average and stuff and that's okay. <laughs> you mm -hmm. don't always have to live your life to the right of the bell curve to get value in meeting. You can live your life and I do left of the bell curve in certain areas where I still have just as much meaning because my heavenly father is absolutely valuing me as his, as his son. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. finding joy in the ordinary instead of uh, making the crushing pressure to make everything epic. What's the quote from the Incredibles? If everyone is incredible. If everyone is special, then nobody then is no special. Yeah. Is special. <laughs> yeah. And so it's that whole idea too of how do you have That's an right. extra special day if you've never had ordinary days? That. How yep. do you... You know, so I love that. And I also love just, you know, as we've talked about these realistic expectations and just, you know, if you have, if you have to get the whole entire project done at work, if you have to get the whole entire storage room done, if you have to, 
you know, get exactly what you wanted to get out, you know, for a workout done or whatever, then, you know, when normal life happens, your kid needs you, your wife has a different idea of something to do, a coworker has a question, then you get frustrated. You're so frustrated with people around you because they're interfering with your, um, perfect plan and your unrealistic expectations. And I just think it, it doesn't allow for you to have margin in your, in your day and in your week and space in your life for people and for relationships and for the unexpected parts of life. I think when you have realistic expectations, realistic goals, things that you can actually accomplish, then when, when people come into the picture they're not so annoying and frustrating. They're not hindering you from getting your goals done. They are, you see them for what That's they are, so which well is said. another person. That's you so know? well so, said. Yeah. yeah, good. Number seven, love grace and extend forgiveness. This goes back to the bell curve. How do we divide humanity? We usually divide it between us and them. And humans are really good about putting people that either look like us or act like us or have some characteristic. And that whole group is to the right of the bell curve. And racism says everyone else is to the left of the bell curve and they're just not as valuable as us. And so if uh, a, a great way out of this is to see that, no, 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 that's not how scripture divides humanity, not between those that are good and those that don't want to try to be good. Um, that doesn't divide people by groups of people, by skin color or what they've done. The way that God divides people is between us and him. The, this is cut vertically, not horizontally. And, and so we, we are all in this same boat and we all need forgiveness and we're all the same and we have all have the same value and we don't measure up to God. And so that's where, that's where Paul in Romans 3 is uh, very helpful that just says no one is righteous, not one. There isn't this right and left of bell curve concept. This is us and God and we're not like him even though Adam and Eve thought they were and, and wanted to be like him, we, we have fallen short of God's perfect moral existence and love and majesty. Hmm. And it's us and, and, and him, and we are divided collectively um, from him. And so what, what we need is we need to be astounded by forgiveness and made reconciled to God. And that's really what, Jesus is saying when he tells this story in Matthew 18, there's this wicked servant that uh, literally owes his boss in today's money trillions of dollars. And he can never pay, but he says, I'm going to work hard anyway, and I'm going to try to get there through a few years salary, which would never measure up. And the boss is like, you know what? I forgive you. I'll absorb that debt and I'll forgive you. And then literally that servant goes away, finds some other guy that owes him 20 bucks and beats him over the head mm -hmm. after he's been forgiven what he could never forgive. And so that's how God wants us to look at forgiveness and mercy is that we collectively need it. And because he forgave me of something I could never repay, I can forgive my brother who slighted me and mm -hmm. who, who hurt me and who brought around real pain. I can forgive because I've offended the infinite holy God mm -hmm. in ways that would never measure up to how you would offend me. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's going to help you not be this perfectionist that lives 
puts your unrealistic standards on everyone else around you. You're going to be able to extend love and mercy and grace to them if you've felt that from God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's really where we're where we're called to be with that one. Yeah. No, that's that's good. I think you're right as a as a perfectionist, you would want to see justice served immediately and everything should be done right and the, you know, let's let's figure this out and and yet there is so much more room for grace and mercy like you said when you understand the forgiveness that you have received and the overflow of that that you can then freely pour out on other people regardless of if everything is made right or they apologize or Whatever, there is the ability to do that because of what Christ has done for us. Yeah, yeah. That is the hope of the gospel for sure. Number eight, we've got to build our hope that the material world will be restored. And so this is the restoration someday. This is the the restoration coming where the first Adam failed in the Garden of Eden. Christ has been referred to and called as the second Adam who is entering into this world and is taking it to restore this created world into what the Garden of Eden extended around the whole globe was supposed to be one day. And that's a city. And that's that's what scripture says is is coming. And this restoration of all things should give us hope that any of these unrealistic expectations that we have set mm-hmm. uh, someday will be fully filled in a way that we could never have post-fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these ways that we were meant to be beautifully dependent upon God and upon others and upon the earth, we'll be able to see from a pre-fall perspective and experience that. Mm-hmm. And that restoration is coming. So I, I, I think I think understanding where we're going, this restoration is a major piece of making headway. I out do of this too. too. I do too. And I think that's applicable in so many areas in life. If you can remember... This is not the end of the story. This is not all there is. Restoration is coming. God will redeem and restore all things. And um, it just, it restores our focus here in grief, in perfectionism, um, even with the forgiveness piece. Uh, There's just so many ways that keeping our eyes on what is to come and the joy of eternity uh, is so helpful in the here and now. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And then finally, this, uh, this one I love. Grow in faith that as a follower of Christ, you are both known and loved at the same time. Hmm. And so how do you quiet the inner critic? Uh, Because the inner critic is true a lot of the time. (laughs) Don't forget that. It's not just lying to you. Mm -hmm. Um, How can you be both loved and known? Or are you only loved because you're not fully known? Hmm. This is hearkening back to the authenticity conversation we had. Or are you not fully loved because you're not fully known? Like, how can we get both? How can Mm -hmm. we be known and loved? And I think that's one of the beauties of marriage because there's nowhere to hide and you're still loved. Mm -hmm. And that's why marriage is a picture of how Christ loves the church and loves his own and has this relationship with them. And so there is this aspect of growing in faith that you are both fully known God's not rolling his eyes. He's actually loving you. Mm, mm. Um, This is where it became really real for me in a really funny way. Holly Hoffman came to the bank and was a motivational speaker for one of our assemblies with all 104 branches. She was uh, one of the finalists in one of the Survivor series. I don't know if it was 20, Survivor 15. I forget the number. (laughs) But she came and spoke, and she was riveting. She was fascinating. 
uh, she made fun of me on something, which was really funny. And we'll <laughs> save that story for another time. Um, she told this haunting story and I'll never forget sitting there listening to her. She said, I've always thought of myself as a nice person and had most everyone believing that I was a nice person that I was with. Um, but what is she known for on the show? Go back and look, go back and Google Holly Hoffman and see what she's known for. There's this thing on survivor, which is fascinating. The cameras never turn off. It's the, it's as if there's an all seeing eye. Hmm. And so literally they are watched 24 hours a day. And all we see is just highlights from that and how the story goes. But when she had the all seeing eye on her, she is known for being caught taking another guy's shoes from Boston who brought on the show his $3,000 pair, pair of whatever shoes he had. She did not like him. It was very clear. And when nobody was looking, she buried them in the surf because she was upset at him. And that is what Holly Hoffman is remembered for mm -hmm. instead of how she portrayed herself to her hometown of being nice. And she is nice mm -hmm. and she's super kind, mm -hmm. but that is what people saw. And so how can she be seen with this all seeing eye for 24 hours a day and still be loved? She talked about the despair and the regret that she now has because that's what she's known by. Mm. Um, and what would happen if somebody filmed us for 24 hours a day and millions watched? And here's what's fascinating about scripture is that on a cosmic scale, that's exactly what God is, is going on. And instead of this like eye watching us where we have to hide, here is how the psalmist talks about it because of his relationship with God. He says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out of my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. And you know how I screwed up and buried $3,000 pair of shoes into the surf. <laughs> you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is not crushing. What it says is somehow God's overseeing love and eye of love over his own. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. This Psalm ends with search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And you're going to find a lot of stuff there, mm -hmm. but see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. There is this way to be fully known and to be fully loved. And that's what mm. God has for his own. You know, mm. Tim, uh, Tim Keller talks about it this way. He says, if you take a sewing needle, you look at it with your normal naked eye and the sewing needle is really smooth and it's really sharp on one end. You can tie thread to it and poke it through fabric and you can absolutely sew fabric together. But if you take that same needle and you put it under a microscope, you are going to absolutely see that along the edges of that needle, it is pocked. It is uneven. It is not smooth. It has jagged edges all around. And you know what, folks? That's what your inner critic sees. Hmm. You are seen by yourself as not as, as who you really are. You are pocked. You have these areas that you're not wild about other people seeing. You have things that you don't measure up on. But then 
what happens is Christ comes and fills that needle in perfectly, as it were. He transforms us and we are covered with his righteousness and his perfect resume of a life lived perfectly that now counts for me. And that to me is transforming love. That's how God loves me and thinks of me and has handled my sinful parts by filling it in with his own goodness Hmm. and how he has helped me to embrace the fact that I'm dependent upon him. And so when you see that Christ was absolutely destroyed on the cross and he lost everything on the cross so that I could be made whole and be made filled in like this needle, Hmm. that will melt your heart with transforming love. That's what's going to shut up your mm. inner your inner critic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you know and experience and believe by faith this real love of God in Christ that he has for his own, that he both knows all of us mm. and he still loves us. He knows me deeply better than my wife knows me, better than I know me. He knows all that mm. and he loves me. So I am fully known and I am fully love, and that transforming love makes the perfectionist move to the right. Wow. Um, it also transforms us in a way where we are free to achieve for his glory mm-hmm. and for uh, my joy. We can no longer be stuck in this perfectionistic, miserable self-salvation project for more meaning through more doing. We are enough, and our Father smiles over us. Mm-hmm in pleasure and Mm. so those are the nine those are the nine ways that uh i have fought hard for joy to leave the despair and this dark cloud of perfectionism and make some real headway to joy and Mm -hmm. achievement Mm -hmm. and i love that you ended on on what you did on number nine too and just letting yourself be melted by Mm. god's love over you and you know, the, the Holly example, the, the needle <laughs> example, you know, the, the Psalm example that you gave. I mean, they're all examples of being really seen and really Absolutely. known. And I, I wish that somebody would come up with new words for the child song, the children's song that, you know, it said, be careful, little um, eyes, what you see, <laughs> you know, or be yeah, careful, right. little mind, what you think, uh, be careful, little hands, what you do. And, you know, because that's what we all focused on was, oh, be careful. Oh, oh, be careful. You know, but if you, if you keep going with the song, it said your father up above is looking down in love. And I think we all miss that when we're so focused Mm. on perfectionism, right. Or, or seeing God in such a way that he only will love us or approve of us when we are doing everything exactly right. And I think being fully seen, fully known, I mean, you and I say that all the time. You can't be fully loved if you're not fully known. You have to be known in order to be loved. And God does know us better than everyone else and um, and loves us with a great, great love um, that melts our hearts and allows us to achieve instead of um, perform in a perfectionistic way. So I love that list. A great list, Eric. I, I love that you shared nine ways because I think each one could resonate um, with people in a different way or certain ones will jump out um, for certain people. Um, And even if you, you know, are not very far along in your walk with the Lord and some of these things and themes uh, seemed a little bit, um, you had 
trouble kind of understanding what that practically would look like. I mean, there is so much common grace that the Lord has given, and there are so many practical things that you can take away too. But please reach out to us because we would love to share more of the hope that we both have found in God's love, uh, in perfectionism, in grief, in marriage, in parenting, in friendship, um, in focusing on the restoration to come. So um, I'm just, I'm thankful, Eric. That was a lot of talking for you, <laughs> but thank you for your being willing to do it. Thank you for being so vulnerable. And it does take just a lot of humility to put all of that out there and watching you not give up and continue to bring this struggle to the Lord has inspired and continues to inspire me in the things that I am working on. And I'm sure it will do the same thing for people who are listening that think, nope, that isn't resonating with me at all. But the way that you haven't give up, given up, the way that you continue to bring this to the Lord and be melted by God's love is something that can really inspire all of us. So thank you for leading well in this and being such a an inspiration for me as your friend and as your wife and for my listeners. And keep going, too. I mean, as I said, this has been one of the greatest hindrances for you and your fight for joy. So I'm thankful to God for the progress that he has already helped you to make. And I'm just really proud of you. You have put in the work and you're still putting in the work. And as I've listened to you share, you know, today, what you have learned and are continuing to learn. And honestly, as I've just watched your life transform and change, um, it, it just makes me want to ball as I just see the the freedom and the peace that you are able to walk in now. And um, granted, it's still not perfect, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> um, but it's, it's you, you know, it's different. It, you're living in such a different way than you used to. Your life is different. You are different. And I respect you so much for this work. And again, I'm grateful for your openness today and your willingness to share. I just, I love your desire to help others experience the freedom and joy that you have now. Thank you so much for listening today. If you were helped or encouraged by this episode, please share it with others. I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.